0: The great 20th century writer Franz Kafka once said, don't bend, don't water it down, don't make it logical, don't edit your own soul according to the fashion. Rather, follow your most intense obsessions mercilessly. When I think about people in my life who refuse to bend according to cultural norms, I think of my podcast guest today, Mike Donaghy. He's always embodied this idea that it is never worth forsaking our humanity for our brand. And he models this really, really well, and sometimes it even creates some controversy. Mike Donahue is an American singer, songwriter, and guitarist, primarily known for his work as lead singer in the Christian rock band 10th Avenue North. 10th Avenue North is very popular and well-respected in the world of Christian contemporary music. With dozens of radio hits and more than a million albums sold in the last decade, they've continued to build respect with their listeners. And that's why it's especially interesting to me that Mike is willing to dive into controversy. Over the last several years, I've seen Mike use his platform to advocate for Black Lives Matter, fairer treatment of immigrants and refugees, and other social issues. And these aren't the best career moves when your audience is largely evangelical Christians, and evangelical Christians voted overwhelmingly for the current president. He's lost followers, and he's lost opportunities because of this. Yet he does it anyway. And in this episode, we talk about why. I've known Mike for a while now and just recently took a trip to D.C. with him to use our platforms to advocate for forward assistance. And I love that time together because Mike is someone I deeply respect and appreciate. And while we were together, we were having these conversations and I knew that they needed to be recorded. So today we dive deep into faith in a way that we don't normally do with our other episodes and we really get to the heart of things. We also hash out some hot political topics and how to lean into some new ones. I'm Brandon Harvey, and this is Sounds Good, the weekly podcast where we have conversations with inspiring people that are using their lives to make an impact. I'm so excited about this. Let's just jump straight into my conversation with Mike. Mike, thanks so much for coming into the studio today. Thanks, Brandon. Um, you and I first met in Portland, Oregon, backstage uh, before one of your shows. I yeah. was I was a uh, at the time I was a professional Snapchatter.
1: <laughs> Dude, you were so pro, and um, you came in and said, "We need to tell a story we need to... <laughs> on my Snapchat." Yeah,
0: we were like, we were just hanging out, and and I knew that you guys were kind of playing around with Snapchat and doing a good job, and I and we were with another friend, Jeff, and uh, he's also got a little bit of a Snapchat audience, and and we had never really hung out in person before, and it's like. We're gonna we're gonna do something. We're gonna tell a story. And I think
1: the first thing we did was we played basketball because we were in the the Trailblazers arena. Oh, do you remember that's that? Right,
0: that's right. There was
1: like a random hoop back there, and yep. we started balling.
0: Yeah, we probably had access to all the Blazers gear, and yeah,
1: I think we actually wore Trailblazers uniforms. Did you? If I remember.
0: No, we didn't. Oh. But that would have been. <laughs> I was awesome. like, that'd be great. I'm, I'm sure they're back there. You could just throw. Them- I mean, they, they'd go down to your feet. Yeah, but- I know. I'd look like my kid <laughs> swimming in my t-shirt. <laughs> Uh, but so that was when we first met and I was like, I like this Mike guy. Oh, okay. Because I, you know, I come from a Christian faith tradition, but I don't normally spend my time these days with a whole bunch of, for lack of a better word, like Christian famous people. Right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> right. You're like, the, yeah, that the, that there, is a lack of good yeah, words, Brandon.
1: Lack of better words for sure. Um,
0: but, you know, I, I feel like that was a part of my life for a long time, you know, working in those kind of circles of influence and now i i I spend time with people uh for the most part who don't believe the same things i believe and i i really enjoy that but then i i i get to spend time with you backstage i'm like this guy's genuine he's cool he's funny he he knows how to make a good snapchat story and shoot a mean basket stop stop and so i was endeared to you at that moment it's Uh, just
1: because i was draining threes
0: yeah, I mean that's that's really what it is. I'm very impressed by sports. Everybody yeah. who knows me knows that I'm just you know sports are my passion. Sports are my passion. <laughs> I like sports that I don't care. Is that who the knows? subcategory of your podcast? <laughs> yes, yeah, it's yeah, it's the segment that comes on if you listen to the end after the credits. I know a lot of people dip out, but sports are my passion. <laughs> sports are my passion. But with all this said, I don't I don't know that much about how you got into the world of music. So I want to start there. Yeah. Where I want to go with this conversation is ultimately I want to talk down the road about how you use your unique platform in this position in the community that you work in to kind of move the needle and talk about social issues and talk about things that make a difference. But first off, right. before we get there, when did you get started with your band?
1: Oh, great question. Or even music. Yeah, I'm a late bloomer to the uh to the music situation. Really? Yeah, I I had no interest in music whatsoever until my senior year of high school. Uh, We actually we had an unscheduled soccer game. I grew up in northern Virginia. Okay. And so they sent us home in the middle of the day to get our soccer uniforms. And we were driving back, and my buddy was driving the car, and he caught the edge of the road, overcorrected. We flipped the car like five or six times at 50 miles an hour, and I wasn't wearing my seatbelt, so I got thrown out of the car. What? And I— Hit the pavement, broke my back in two places, broke my face, ripped my ear off. Uh Yeah. I, I had I no the scars. idea. Wow. There's scars up there. And uh I flatlined five times on the way to the hospital. You're the smiling ambulance. as you tell me this. It's <laughs> crazy. Well, it's just crazy. Because uh, I don't really remember any of it. Yeah. You know? And I remember a mailbox smashing the windshield as we slid off the road. Man. And um anyway, I had to wait. Lay on my back for about two months, and that's when I said, "Man, I'm so bored." Mom, Dad, will you get me a guitar? And they got me a guitar that Christmas. And you just
0: played it flat. On and your back.
1: I I literally sat in my room for hours and hours and hours and just made excruciatingly horrible noises from the guitar. <laughs> I remember that that winter during basketball season, because um, I actually ended up making a full recovery and even played basketball that winter. But I remember I'd now picked up the guitar. I remember one time we were waiting for the girls' varsity game to be done and we were sitting in the bleachers and i was practicing my guitar and the ref yelled over at me and said you need to stop that it's distracting and ungodly (laughs) (laughs) it sounded like cats dying the noises i was making from Uh, the guitar so
0: and so then you pivoted the other way around you're like i'm gonna make only godly music no no (laughs) i just kidding i literally i got to college
1: and i just started playing guitar with a bunch of friends outside sitting you know yeah, kumbaya hippie style. Totally in the grass. It's like exactly
0: songs. what you're supposed to do in college.
1: Exactly, and uh, mostly I was just trying to impress girls with my guitar.
0: That's why you do it. Yeah, and, yeah.
1: <laughs> and in the meantime, fell in love with music and wow. fell in love with writing songs and met the guys in my band my freshman year. We started practicing no in our dorm room. Yeah, so
0: wow. And then at what point did you kind of know that this you know band of of guys that you met your freshman year. When did you know that that was starting to take off?
1: Taking off is a tough thing to gauge, isn't it? Yeah. Because in some ways, we all think we're taking off. And in some ways, we never think we're taking off. Does that make sense? Totally. But I think that when I finally thought, oh, man, I think I could do this full time hmm. was when we signed a record deal. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, other people actually believe in this
0: now. Yeah, so, people are are spending money to make sure yeah. that this is a thing. How old were you in that? That was 10 years ago. 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Man. 11 years ago. And oh, how yeah. many years out of college were you?
1: Uh, let's see. <laughs> Carry the two. Uh, <laughs> that was Four years out of college. Four years
0: out of college. Yeah. Wow. So you did that for four years in college, four years out of college, then got signed. Yes. What did you do in the interim period? How are you making money?
1: Yeah, I was working at a church part-time, uh, leading a performing arts group for high schoolers. We actually wrote and directed our own musicals.
0: Wow. Which
1: was fairly ambitious and terrifying and <laughs> a lot of fun. And then I played music for a college service and a young adult service and that Man. kind of thing. And then we would play um basically we would do that Sunday through Thursday and then Friday and Saturday every week. We would go and drive and play different places in Florida. Oh dang. Oh yeah.
0: Wow. All, all night, baby. And I mean, it's not like that necessarily slowed down once you uh once you sign the label because at that point you probably start touring a lot.
1: Oh yeah, totally changed, right? So we were used to kind of doing anywhere we played was like a friend of a friend. We always Got knew it. who we were playing for. So getting signed was actually pretty strange. Jumping on a tour and being in a new city every night of the week—that yeah. was. We had been doing the band for eight years and had never really done that. Hmm. And um, so it was a pretty big wake-up call. I had a lot of baloney sandwiches,
0: <laughs> so many. When you started the band. Which have we mentioned the name of it yet? No, I don't think so. <laughs> uh your bed is Tenth Avenue North.
1: Tenth Avenue North. Um It's a terrible name. It's
0: I don't know. I like
1: it. Well, you know, my mom likes it. What? <laughs> and you like it. I think you're the only two people we'll I've take met. It.
0: Um me and your mom are in a uh, very unique fan club. Um yes. But wait, where does the name come from?
1: It was just the name of the street we lived off in college. That's funny. It's literally, we couldn't agree on anything. That's the reason that's the like, name. the only thing that brings us
0: together is yes. that we're in this band and we lived on this street. Yeah,
1: we're on this street. I remember we had you know tossed around 500 band names. I said, well, how about 10th Avenue North? And everyone said,
0: fine, we'll change it <laughs> later. It's reluctant.
1: We'll change it later.
0: Ugh, that's so funny. And then as you were creating 10th Avenue North, Did you have like a mission in mind? Were you like, we want to do this thing? Like, were you, was there anything in particular that you're like, I want to do this thing because I'm not seeing it?
1: Okay, yeah. So at first, I just really enjoyed music and I really loved the attention I got.
0: Great. I mean, I appreciate that honesty. Let's
1: be honest. Being in a band, you get applauded just for showing up to work. Yeah. Where else is that the (laughs) case? You know, and you can screw up. It's like a a baseball player, you get applauded, but then you better you better hit one out of the That's park. That's
0: funny. You wow. Know? Me,
1: I like show up. I'm going to start a band. That's yeah, great. Dude. That's really good. Ryan Adams historically just like stops playing just because he doesn't feel like going on, you know. Anyway, so originally I just wanted to be applauded. I wanted to um, convince a girl to go
0: out with me. And honestly, though, like that, those are the things that are true for almost anything that you get started in. Oh, come So like on. when I first started photography, it was just because people lied to me and told me I was doing a good job. And I was like, that feels great. Oh, like feels I love when people so tell me good. I'm doing a great job. And then girls were like, oh, you're you're good at this. You know, like those are the things that kind of get you into these things that not everybody does. Exactly. You've got to have some early encouragement.
1: Exactly. And, And then it was just, oh, man, this is great. You know, I really like singing with all these people. There's a spiritual thing happening when we're all singing together. That's really cool. And then I remember a real shift was when we were at this camp in Ducktown, Tennessee. (laughs) And I was talking to these kids about how do you know that God loves you? And these are kids that the night before we'd had a very, I don't know if anyone listening has ever been to like a religious camp experience, you know, where The emotions are real high. Girls are crying. Guys are pretending to console them, putting their (laughs) arm around them. They're there, baby, making their move, you know. And these kids I, I was sitting at this table with having breakfast, they had all had a very emotional night the night before. Everyone's crying. I want to change my whole life. And I remember I said, so you guys obviously know who God is. How do you know he loves you? And they all sat there and just fumbled through their words and said, uh, like if I'm a good person or, (laughs) you know, like haters going to hate, I shake it off. And I go, what? That's a Taylor (laughs) Swift song that hasn't even been written yet. How do you know that? And uh, I went back to my dorm room and with some of my band guys wrote a song called Love Is Here, which was trying to convince people that they didn't have to do anything to earn the love of God, that it's actually already available. And I remember that was a huge shift, and we played it that night, and I remember just having a whole new passion and purpose
0: for while I was on stage. Was it specifically, I want to help people understand that God already loves them, or is it that, or was your passion like, oh, I see this this thing that needs clarifying, or this thing that people are needing, and I have a way to communicate that in a unique way? Both.
1: Okay. Yeah. It was, it was the dualistic joy of, oh, man, you guys think you need to earn the love of God. That's super important to me. And then, ooh, I think I actually have the tools to help clarify something mm. that was once misunderstood. Yeah. And both of those things have really driven my songwriting. And, That's cool. You know, I've written a book that comes out next year, and it's really what kind of pushes me to do everything that I do
0: man and music's got a really powerful way of kind of cutting through that noise and oh absolutely it, you let your guard down and then you build you even just kind of build a sense of trust with with the people singing the song you know and then your guard is down when they communicate in other places like your book and you know things like that
1: yeah absolutely when you're in a band music has such an emotional place for people often carries people through very dark emotional times and when you end up meeting someone who's a fan of your music, it's often like being on a blind date with someone who's been in a relationship with you for six <laughs> years. <laughs> you know? Remember yeah. that time when my boyfriend broke up with me? And do you remember that time <laughs> my parents went through this? Do you remember? And you were there for me. And you're going, what's, what's your name again? Okay, cool. Yeah, what's that like? Once you embrace that it's going to be super awkward, yeah. it's
0: amazing. Yeah, But you just got to embrace that. Yeah. But what an opportunity, too. What a cool thing.
1: Oh, dude. just Yeah, just this past week, we were playing a show, and I went out in the crowd, and there was a girl with a 10th Avenue North t-shirt, and I was singing a song, I just put my arm around her shoulders, and she's just weeping and weeping and weeping, and knowing that this music has done something for her that I never could, Hmm. no matter how many conversations we had. And so then it's this privilege of sort of, I like to say, if anyone views me as famous, it's just a chance to turn fame on its head Hmm. and actually serve that person, if that makes sense. Instead of using fame as this vehicle to be served, it's an incredible vehicle when you look at it as just a chance to serve other people. I love that.
0: You model something really, really well for me that I love. And it's your commitment to your family in the midst of, you know, having this essentially fame and, and, and travels and adventures. I know that I'm like saying fame too much around you, but no, no, uh, yeah,
1: fame in a very specific circle.
0: Yeah. And you've got this quote where you say like, I want to be famous with my family. Um, and tell me a little bit more about that and kind of when your family came into the equation with, with the band and how you've kind of balanced these two things that you know can really push each other apart just because of the time spent and the energy and emotion spent
1: yeah no that's exactly right well my friend bob he's the one who says are you busy impressing strangers or are you famous with your family Mm. and that hits pretty hard and it hit really hard about two years ago up until that point being in the band and having my family oftentimes my family came on the road And so it actually helped us be together even more. And then my girls, I have four daughters, by the way.
0: That's a lot of, it's a lot of ladies. It's
1: a lot of estrogen in the house. (laughs) Having four daughters is great. Just means someone's (laughs) always crying and it's usually me. Um, And no, I'm not praying for a boy. I find the Lord gives daughters to a family that already has a man. Oh. (laughs) So anyway. That's good, That's that's good. That's my retort. And. That's it's a great retort. awesome having four daughters. Uh, but, yeah, like two years ago, we were struggling. Just my family needed more of my time than they had previously. And we made this conscious decision of, okay, we're going to pull way back on the number of shows we do, even if it means the band ends. And that's sort of a question I don't know if everyone is asked. is like, when will my dream demand so much of me that it's not really meant to be my dream anymore? Oh, wow.
0: it's a great question. Because
1: we all, whatever it is that you're doing, there comes a time where you're no longer the warrior king, but you transition into a role of kind of being a sage or a wisdom provider, right? Like mm. Michael Jordan, he didn't play basketball forever. LeBron James won't play basketball forever. And yet we, we kind of see these people, we, go, we kind of acknowledge that, But some of us in our dreams, we don't acknowledge that there's going to come time for a shift. And so for us, we said, okay, we'll we'll shift now and we'll just sort of um, put our family above the band. And then if we still are able to keep doing the band at half as many shows, we will. But if we're not, then it's time for a new dream. And uh, it was pretty awesome. It actually worked out. We're still making enough money to feed our kids. So we're going to keep going. Wow. But there could be a, you know, there's going to
0: be a time when I don't do this band anymore. What do you think would come next? Besides obviously just, you know, prioritizing and spending time with your family.
1: Right. Navy SEAL. (laughs) Why are you laughing?
0: I hear that that this age is a good time to kind of get into that.
1: Yeah. They say you should start around 40. (laughs) It's a great time to start learning how to hold your breath for 10 miles or whatever it is. No, I I don't know. I I think that's part of the reason I wrote a book, and yeah, because my great passion isn't necessarily to strum the guitar. My great passion is to communicate and to see revelation on people's faces, hmm. and that can look like a whole lot of different things.
0: That's interesting, and it, it kind of brings me around to this thing that you know I first took notice of it. A few years ago, I was following you online, and that was probably the best way that I was keeping in touch with what you were doing. And you shared something, I think it was in the middle of, it was probably a year after Ferguson, Missouri. And I think you shared essentially a post around Black Lives Matter. Yeah. And that was in essentially direct contradiction to a lot of what I was seeing from the evangelical Christian world. And... I right around the time of Ferguson was when I was really deconstructing race and my own privilege and my own experience and so I had kind of come out on this other side of being like wow like people of color in this country aren't experiencing things you know the way that I am and I'm living with a sense of privilege that I get to use this to advocate for you know people who aren't experiencing this privilege and then when I would share things online the pushback the main pushback I was getting was from people in the evangelical Christian world. You know, they were all lives mattering me and and dismissing these ideas and felt very, very surprising, but also not surprising. Right. And then I see you, somebody who, you know, is the frontman of a, of a popular band that's probably almost exclusively listened to by people of faith, maybe white people of faith, I don't know. And you are willing to have a conversation about Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. I deeply admired your ability to 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 step up and have that conversation, but I I know that that was an intentional choice and a difficult thing, and I couldn't find the post, but I'm sure you got a lot of comments.
1: Oh man, any uh, well, yeah, sadly, for whatever reason, um, Christian musician artists um, have kept very silent on political things, and. I only take that to be part of the reason. Is Christian music? It's a weird category, anyway. It's the only lyrically defined genre, besides instrumental, I guess. <laughs> right? You yeah. Look through the charts, I mean, you could kind of argue country too, but um, you know, Christian music is lyrically defined, which means people are coming to this music for very specific lyrical content yeah and when i as someone uh of a christian artist they basically are going i didn't come to your music to hear about your political views i came to hear about jesus that's the only it's the same reason like it's tough when we put out songs about struggling with our relationship with our wives or our kids again it's sort of falling into this weird category i've that never they go, thought about it like that yeah that's they go interesting. no just keep it all Me and God and Jesus vertical prayer language. Um, Billboard actually wanted to do an article about Trump and CCM artists, you know, opinions on him. And the only two artists that would even agree to talk to Billboard was me and a guy named Matt Marr. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone else wouldn't even talk to them. Wow. And I think I've talked to some guys and I've said, why don't you guys speak up about different things? And... I think unanimously, it's they feel like there's nothing to gain and just something to lose. Yeah. And I would say no and yes. You will definitely lose more than you gain. But when I look at Jesus, that's how he used his power. He looked at it as a chance of losing more than he gained, right? Like if Jesus really did give his life for all the sinners, right? If that happened, then he got the most unfair deal (laughs) ever because like if he really was God and he really gave his life for me, I can never repay him, right? Like he's already in the red, on that exchange. (laughs) And so then as an artist, it's like, oh no, even maybe God would even call me to give up some of my influence to speak the truth. And that's tough, especially in like social media fame, social media numbers is power, right? And we all want power. So to give up some of our power that we could leverage just to speak the truth for people that are just going to unfollow us and not listen to us anyway, it feels like what's the point? I yeah. But even you saying, "Man, I saw that and it struck a chord with me." It reminds me that again, Jesus really just influenced twelve people, and that was enough to change the world. So, mm.
0: yeah, I I deeply appreciate you taking that choice because it, it's it's a lot more for you to say Black Lives Matter you know, this, this, you know, now highly politicized idea with your community than it is for me and my community necessarily. Right. Um, And it it is this weird balance though, because I'm constantly thinking about this, this idea that maybe, maybe if I just don't post this thing this time, then I'll keep more followers and then I'll have the ability to influence them for something else later. And
1: right. Well, that, uh, the the point of no return, that's what we're all trying to figure out. Yeah. When I speak, the problem is we live in a time where everyone's information streams is becoming increasingly curated, right? Facebook is doing algorithms all the time, things you look at, things you like, things you don't like. And it's getting harder and harder to even come in contact with a view that opposes you. Yeah. So as a musician, I'm sort of this rogue element in someone's Instagram feed, right, where if they only listen to Fox or they only listen to CNN, I could be that one voice that sneaks in there and gives the opposing view. And then you're saying what I'm saying is that, well, but what good is it? To confront people's ideas if they're just going to unfollow me and not listen to me anymore. Yeah. So you're always sort of walking that that balance of, you know, how much can I push them?
0: Because I just don't want to, I don't want to be preaching to the choir at the end of the day. Like I'm not helping, I'm not moving the needle if I'm just talking to people who already agree with me. Right, but
1: if I move the needle at the sacrifice of ceasing to be a person and only becoming a brand. Yeah. It's not worth it.
0: Yeah, tell I, me more about that idea.
1: Well, I just feel like as a musician, I'm sure you experience it somewhat on like as like a social media celebrity is there comes a a tipping point where you're no longer a person, you're the idea of the person that that person has in their head. Yeah. And a lot of our tactics, even people that you know, you have a hundred followers. We implement these tactics of we're always trying to give people this perception that we're this huge, awesome deal, <laughs> right? And what happens is, is we become less and less a real person. Um, it's like uh, I heard this uh, message one time about the second applause, Right. Like, I'm an artist. I make a song. There's something beautiful and right for someone to go, oh, man, that song is amazing. That's beautiful. I actually believe that God and some creative force were told that when he made the universe, he kept stepping back and going, that's so good. That's so good. So applause is even divine, I would argue. But the problem comes when... After they applaud that thing you made, that post you did, that song you wrote, then there's the second applause of, oh, he must be so amazing to have (laughs) been able to write that. I mean, it's like back when we first started, I'd get moms coming up to me going, are you single? Because I have this daughter. (laughs) And what is that? That's like, because you wrote this song, you're I want my daughter to marry you. I mean, that's an extreme, you know, example. <laughs> but the point being, we have to always level how much of, it's like believing your own hype, right? Yeah. It's, I'm actually believing the second hallucinatory, is that a word? Yeah, it feels this, good. This <laughs> hallucinatory applause
0: that I actually deserve that. How do you push back against that then? You know, how do you yeah, you not po- believe it, but then also not live into it?
1: You just post things that you know won't get you a bunch of likes. <laughs> Literally, I'll post things. I mean, immigration, right? I know a ton of the people who follow me. They don't want to hear my opinion on immigration. And it's only going to make me lose followers. Hmm. And I do it anyway just so that they, maybe, if anything, it just helps them from idolizing me. Yeah. Yeah. And that's That's enough of a reason to do it. That's good. Because then I can keep being a real person instead of just this hyped-up version of me that they want to believe in.
0: I wonder what that looks like for me on my side of things because, for me, if I post my opinions on on immigration – most of my audience they're like, yeah. that's good, like yeah. way to way go, to like, go dude. we're we're in agreement, and so i and it's not true for everybody. I feel like I do have a really nice, nuanced audience that are on the right and the left, and it's really interesting learning from everybody. but I'm like, what is the thing that like isn't popular for any of those people that's true about me where i'm like let's let's share this thing. That's interesting anytime
1: you come up to a place where you know and you know we go oh i can't actually be honest about that mm-hmm. and quickly we usually go well of course of course you can't be honest with everybody with everything and that's definitely true there's certain people that aren't safe to share certain things but i think we all could begin to just dabble our toes in the water of a next level of honesty yeah that i think everybody would end up winning including you. Yeah.
0: It's really interesting hearing you say this because so like two weeks ago you and I were in DC together. Yeah. I know that you're like landing at, you know, midnight or something like that. And I'm I'm refreshing my phone and or I'm refreshing my Instagram and all of a sudden I see a a, a new post from you pop up. And it's you essentially it was you condemning Trump's immigration policy, specifically in regard to separating families at the border, because right. that was the news topic that week. And even more so, it was, it was his administration's use of the Bible to justify that. That yeah. was mostly what you were posting. But yes. obviously, it's tied into all kinds of stuff. And over our time together in D.C., you probably did four posts about this whole topic. Um, and you you were getting all these comments. And I commented right away and, uh Just kind of saying, like, thanks for doing this, man. But then I got all the notifications anytime you commented back at people. Yeah. So it was great to see you actually just engaging in conversation. But what was interesting was at the end of our trip, while we were in D.C., you know, while I was actually at the White House itself, Trump signs this thing saying, hey, we're going to not separate families at the border. And, um, you know, at the time, you know, that's huge news, even though it, it took a little bit of time for that to... It's taking a lot of time for that to actually come to life. That was a big deal when that happened. And you posted right away a screenshot of that thing, and you're like, hey, let's celebrate this because this is good news. And I saw you got comments on the other side from people being like, Oh, absolutely. I can't believe you're supporting this president. I can't believe you're supporting this man. You're getting it from both sides. But
1: that's just the the just the thing. What we were talking about yeah. in DC is the need for people to actually begin to be more nuanced. Yeah. And we want We want the news to be nuanced, but we're not willing to be nuanced. Yeah. And it's a nuanced thing to go, like, what am I actually opposing? I'm opposing the use of Scripture to support certain legislation that I view to actually be in direct contradiction to other Scripture, right? Yeah, So then I'm posting about that, and then everyone who's a Trump supporter is like, you're the devil, I can't believe I ever listened to your music. (laughs) And then when I go, hey, thanks Donald Trump for signing this bill, anybody on the left that hates Donald Trump is like screaming at me, telling me I'm a demon Trump worshiper. And the thing of it is is, I have to be willing, if I want the news to become nuanced, I have to begin to be nuanced. Yeah. I have to begin to show how I agree with the right and how I agree with the left. Man. And sometimes we just choose a side because it's way easier to just gain everybody on one side than to continually walk the line to remind everyone that nobody on either side is my enemy. Man. I actually, I actually believe I don't have any enemies.
0: Let's take that one step further.
1: <laughs> well, that's that's a spiritual thing. Yeah. Right? Like, and, and we can disagree with, about this all day long, and, but I, it really takes a lot of the pressure off when I believe what I'm taught in the New Testament of Scripture, which is I don't battle against flesh and blood, but against principalities. Okay? So my enemy is not flesh and blood Hmm. like that changes the game trump is not my enemy obama was not my enemy hillary is not my enemy um pence is not my enemy you know these these families who are immigrating over the border are not my enemies or you know girls going to get an abortion are not my enemies like people who are trying to speak up for Black Lives Mattering, they're not my enemies, you know? Like, it suddenly allows us to actually listen to people and really hear them out, as opposed to telling them what I think about it. Because I think, ultimately, it'd be a lot more powerful if we were all much more quick to offer grace instead of critique. Critique should come. But is our first reaction to offer grace and listen? Hmm. or is it to offer our critique?
0: Yeah, I think about my own life, where I think about the ways that I've grown and changed and evolved as a human, and i'm I'm very grateful for the people who who gave me both of those things, who said, they knew that I was wrong, that I was off, that I didn't know what I was saying. And they just casually and gently but strongly, guided me towards you know truth and reality and 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 justice and
1: man yeah my middle school principal randy brunk (laughs) i got sent to the principal's office 42 times when i was in seventh grade wow i needed so much attention (laughs) and i remember one time he caught me with my hand up the candy machine you know how you used to be able to steal candy out of the bottom row of a candy machine maybe you never did that but used to be able to wiggle your arm up the bottom and like pull the little rings and like make the candy come out and I remember one time I was stealing out of the bottom of the candy machine and Randy Brunk walked in to the snack room and I just you know look look up at him just totally caught (laughs) and he goes well Michael you're telling me your integrity is worth 50 cents I always thought it was worth more than that and then he walked out and can I tell you I've never stolen anything since that day. Wow. Not even, I remember, not even like a little bit of Coke out of the machine at Chipotle. You know, (laughs) I just, and Randy Brunk's voice ringing in my head. And he didn't come down on me with a bunch of judgment. He just said, what do you think
0: your integrity is worth? And you're like, it's $8 billion and I'm planning the best heist ever. It's going to be Ocean's 9. There you go. There you go. Oh, man. Wow. I like that. It's it's interesting though. That's a very tricky thing to do because part of me is like, especially in when we're talking about national issues, it's important to be able to say, okay, no, 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 no. We can't let this continue any longer. This is an abuse of people's dignity, of their humanity, while also saying, hey, maybe the person who is posting this thing on Facebook or whatever, they they've just got room to grow and they haven't yeah. had the opportunity to learn or experience what I've experienced.
1: It's the it's the Sarah Silverman thing. Did you see what happened what with was her that? It's a couple months ago this troll uh, I shouldn't call him a troll. This guy who was trolling. That's a distinction, right? Yeah, that's a good call distinction. Call out the action, not the person. And um I saw my tendencies and he was just just saying all sorts of nasty things to her. And she reaches out to him, goes, "Hey man, sounds like you're in a lot of pain. What's going on?" And they have this whole back and forth on Twitter turns out he's had he's this back issue and he hasn't been able to have surgery for it. She pays for his back surgery, mm. this dude who is trolling her.
0: And, you know, that to me is just good news. Uh, that's the stuff that gets me excited is, I don't know, I love imagining what that looks like when that's not broadcast in the news. You know, the people who are doing that, even though it's not going to get picked up by news outlets everywhere, it's not going to get retweeted on Twitter, how can we do that in a way that's that's not flashy, it's not glamorous, but it it that's going to move the needle. That person will always listen to, you know, Sarah Silverman's thoughts and and consider it genuinely mm-hmm. uh, because she earned that and, and and gave him the benefit of the doubt. And I bet that that humanized him for her too. You know, I bet it changes the way that she thinks about people who are trolling her online. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. You know, so you talked about you sharing these things on social media as, as a way to push back on, on that second level of applause and it's, it's helpful for you. Do you feel like it's, it's moving the needle for, for people?
1: I call myself a follower of Jesus. And what Jesus did was he didn't let anybody off the hook. Nobody. He gave everybody tons of grace but he also kind of left them looking in a mirror hmm. of going, okay, now what? What's your move? You know? Um, I'm th- I'm thinking about right now, like, uh, you know, i talked about immigration, and people on the right, you know, immediately hit back and said, hey, why don't you ever speak about abortion if you're all about kids' rights? And I was like, well, I— I did, and I went back to my Twitter and pointed out there was was a time where I was calling out, I was actually calling out people who were protesting at an abortion clinic, and which, see, well, yeah, you're just all on the left. And I was like, well, what did I say? (laughs) And I said, hey, if you're going to protest abortion, I hope your signs say, I'm ready to adopt your baby. Hmm. Because I think that's what Jesus would have done. He wouldn't have gone, hey, let me help you point the finger at what they're doing wrong. He always had a way, especially of the Pharisees who were doing that. Yeah. He had a way of turning the finger back and going, okay, how about you? What do you need to work on? Yeah. And it's like, maybe you need to work on some of
0: your compassion for these people, you know? I think, honestly— so I, I hope it's moving. Yeah. Sorry, no, I interrupted you. No, no, no. I I, I think it is. I just—I'm glad I got to hear you talk about that. Um. And it's interesting that you brought up the Pharisees, because if there's one thing kind of encouraging to me about the political climate we live in today, because oftentimes I'm discouraged. I'm I'm mostly discouraged by people who claim to be Christians being so off base from this Jesus character that, you know, I I read about and I I think, you know, acts and, and lives a certain way. And... Yeah, it's really it's really concerning for me to to see people who are, are are claiming to represent Jesus and and them being the person who probably pushes me away from Jesus the most. Mm. But it's it's delightful looking in the Bible and reading the stories of, you know, Pharisees who are just essentially these religious and governmental leaders who are using their faith to to I don't know, to do what?
1: They were using their power to get more of it yeah as opposed to using your power to give it to, to the it head yeah that, that's actually if you look in the book of proverbs there we're given this sort of weird juxtaposition between justice and gluttony Hmm. strange right yeah the wise man is just the foolish man is gluttonous which doesn't seem to be related until you start to think about it well what's What's gluttony? Gluttony is me, 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 more, 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 more. Justice is how can I procure safety and good things for you? Hmm. And oftentimes, in order to do that, in order to be a just person, you actually have to say no to your
0: immediate needs. Yeah, you gotta give it away. Give that to others. Wow. And I guess that's what's encouraging to me is that this guy who Jesus. Jesus probably, or that this group of people that Jesus condemned more than anybody else in the Bible, are the same people that are the people that piss me off the most today, and it, well,
1: and well, here's here's the rubber meeting the road, yeah, because I'll I'll hear this, yeah, see, Jesus hated religious people, so he hates the right, and he loved, you know sinners so he loves liberal people.
0: Yeah, and that's like not a nuanced perspective. The, yeah,
1: not a nuanced perspective and just flat out wrong. The problem with Jesus is that he hung out with everybody. He hung out with the poor and the prostitutes and the tax collectors and the Roman guards and then he was and he's healing their daughters and then he's eating with the Pharisees, hanging out. He's just shooting himself in the foot <laughs> over and over and over and over. And he refuses to live his life in a way that protects his reputation. Hmm. And I think when this whole conversation is, I refuse to let reputation run my life and decide who I'm going to be because chances are my reputation won't be a real version of me and I'll become enslaved to it. <sighs> wow. Wow.
0: That's real. That's, that's good.
1: That's why people don't speak up about politics because they're afraid of toppling down this glowing reputation that they've spent so many years building. And I just don't think Jesus needs me to care about my reputation.
0: I'm like thinking my my <laughs> brain is churning. This is first of all, this is the most faith oriented conversation we've sure. had in this podcast. Great. But second, it's also the thing where I'm like. It's so encouraging to talk to somebody else who's processing these things and, and living these things out. And I think this is maybe something that so many of us are trying to find this balance of, of just being like, hey, if I post this thing, you know, my uncle's definitely going to comment. Or if I, ha- if I bring this thing up at the dinner table on Thanksgiving, like it's going to make things awkward or I don't know. It's,
1: it's... Be ready to – so for me, like I understand that when I post – I'm going to lose a lot of traction with a lot of people. So if I post something political in nature that I know is going to cause a bit of a fallout with the people who follow me, I have to then kind of put my big boy pants on and be ready to engage people in a grace-filled way. Um, So if you read through the comments, i do my best to not retaliate, to respond not react and kind of ask, oh, where did you come to that conclusion? Hmm. How did you get there? And really honor even the people that I feel like are just intent on dishonoring me in that moment yeah. and help them kind of, it just sort of robs them of a lot of the yeah. ready to fight when I go, oh, I actually, I've heard that. Where did you get that
0: information? Yeah. That's what I try to do because I think it postures my heart in a good way yeah absolutely but it also and, and it yeah it allows me to be a little bit open uh, while also I guess learning where these thoughts are coming from and, and hopefully you know it, and you're right like you were talking about it earlier it's kind of turning a mirror towards the other person so that they can kind of see what they're answering but I just ask questions and questions and questions and I try not to provide answers uh, because I'm like I just want to know like where does this come from okay where does that come from where does, is is that thing true and it you know sometimes it unravels things in a beautiful way where people start to change their minds and you get a comment a month later and you know because people are always embarrassed up front and but a month later they're like hey i I actually thought about that and thank you I don't know it, it's really interesting on that front but oh but on the other hand sometimes people are so rigid and so solid that it's just a good time you know it's just it's a good time to have that back and forth and, and ask questions and and you don't have to be you know when it's like you're Your your racist uncle or whatever it is like, you don't have to be frustrated because you can just go. I'm just gonna like enjoy this, and this person's gonna play this part, and I'm gonna I'm gonna ask the questions and play my part, and and if they don't play theirs, then I you know, it it opens up your heart to not feel like you've got to win this war because it's not you're not it's not a battle, it's a it's an opportunity.
1: Yeah, it's a
0: discourse. It's a discourse. You know, for people who are listening and they. They're hearing all of this, and 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 they just kind of want to practice this. They want to give this its first try, whether it's sharing something that they've been fearful of sharing, or or saying, "I want to push back on that that second applause." What kind of practical action step would you would you offer everybody, but also probably me, honestly? Right, me. <laughs> right. Well,
1: I would I would filter everything through this one quote first. There's a guy named Frederick Beekner who. Is just a phenomenal writer. And he said, your calling is where your great passions or your deep gladness is what he said. Your calling is where your deep gladness meets the world's deep needs. Okay? So start with what are you deeply passionate about? Deep gladness, deep passion, right? What are those things? So don't just jump on the hot button issue jump on the issues that are deeply passionate to you when they become hot-button issues, right? And then be thinking, how do I present this in a way where I feel like it might actually meet needs? Because it'd be easy just to throw out things yeah. just for the sake of yeah, love inflammatory yeah rhetoric, but to actually go, okay, this is sort of the need I have in mind at the end. You know, I, I mentioned, I said... I dream of a day—this was my tweet about abortion— I dream of a day when protesters no longer hold signs that say abortion is murder, but instead they're holding signs that say, I'll adopt your baby. And down the line, someone posted a link to this story. There's a couple who did that every day. They stood outside an abortion clinic with a sign saying, we want to adopt your baby. And they adopted this girl's baby. (laughs) And so it was a great chance for me to go, man— I'm so much more inspired. I had no idea that happened in the world. That's a beautiful story. So I think, yeah, approach things in a way where you go, okay, why am I deeply passionate about this and what need do I see being met through this remark or post or whatever?
0: That last quote really gets me thinking about this idea that when you think about the end result that you want to have – it actually inspires more creativity and it inspires more skill and thoughtfulness to, to craft this in a way where you aren't just saying, it's not just a bumper sticker. It's not just that you're putting a bumper sticker in your car. It's saying, okay, how can I move the needle here? How can I tell a story that, that, uh, that communicates this idea? How can I really move the needle? And that's a lot more exciting to me all of a sudden than saying, I just want people to know where I stand Oh, absolutely. It's, it's so much better to be like, come and join me because there's this beautiful story of, you know, uh, of, a, of a couple and they, they went outside of an abortion clinic and they just said, Hey, you, I want to help you in this way. And yeah. And then and guess what?
1: Maybe you'll start talking about it. And then suddenly you're creating, um, grants through partners to help couples who want to adopt that don't have the funds to do it and suddenly you've created like a fundraising adoption agency well that's actually a practical good yeah that you said you're super passionate about abortion like just standing up there going condemning people because why what's the end result i don't know i just need to make people feel bad like it's such a more creative solution to go let me be a part of what I see as the good, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's the good you wish to see in the world. You're you're actually creating it instead of, and it is important to speak it into existence to say, this is what I dream of. You know, if you're that person, you dream of a day where nobody has an abortion, but maybe it's even more specific. It's like nobody needs to have an abortion because there's not a need because everybody's taken care of and supported. And then you say, okay, well, how am I going to live into this dream? How how am I going to live into this future that I care about? Right. And that's where things get exciting. I love Mike. He's the best. I'm so challenged by our conversation, especially by this idea of refusing to let our reputation run our lives. I think it's important for all of us to evaluate why we let the fear of speaking about politics, faith, social issues, whatever, become paralyzing. Let's lean into that tension. Let's have respect and understanding for each other and commit to becoming more nuanced for the sake of truly moving the needle if you connected with mike and want to follow him online i highly recommend checking him out on twitter and instagram you could dive into some of his past posts that we talked about and of course you can also stream his band's music on spotify or wherever you listen to music if you're new to sounds good we would love for you to stick around if you liked this conversation, you would also love my conversation with Ken Weitzma. He's a pastor who advocates for racial justice, or you'd also love my conversation with the women from the Pantsuit Politics podcast, who are all about advocating for nuance in political conversations. You can find both of these episodes and more than 100 other episodes by searching for Sounds Good wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast was created by me, Brandon Harvey, as a part of Good Good Good, a community that believes in the power of celebrating good news and becoming good news. Chad Michaels, Michael Snavely and the team at CM Studio edit and mix the show, and Chrissy Karen Brock offers production support. You can get lots of hopeful stories on social media by following us everywhere at goodgoodgoodco. We also create the Good News Paper. If you're new and don't know what that is, it's a beautiful quarterly publication that highlights the ideas, people, and movements who are doing something about the pain and darkness that they see in the world rather than just talking about how bad it is. Check it out and see what else we do at goodgoodgood at goodgoodgood.co. And on that note, that is a wrap for this week's episode. Go out and remember that sacrificing being a person and only becoming a brand is never worth it and won't truly result in moving the needle for anyone. Hold on to your humanity. Sound good?